Yeah, I've got a nice email here, and it says, Hello, Pat and Ron. My girlfriend is from New York and is a Mets fan. Being a diehard Cub fan, I have tried to explain to her why Cub fans dislike the New York Mets. She does not seem to truly understand the whole thing. Ron, could you further elaborate on the dislike? Well, Dumper. Can I just jump in Dumper. and say, you're asking the right guy. What was that? <laughs> Dumper. That's all. That's my advice. I don't need to explain. Get rid of her. Did you want to elaborate? or no, is that, that's just, it. Just Dumper. Okay. Yeah. Very good. And on that note... <laughs> Well, we have to start off with a little trip down memory lane there, a classic call of Pat and Ron on WGN Radio. Why do we start with that, Randall? A three-game sweep, the Cubs over the Mets, starting on a high note here tonight, Randall. Uh, it, it's delightful. We know one former Cubs broadcaster is very happy watching up in heaven right now, not just for that sweep, but for what the, the previous ballpark for that team did to his toupee. Never forget. Yeah. A great rivalry. Cubs-Mets, man, goes back many, many years, and nice for the Cubs to go to New York and take all three games from a team that has the second-best record in the National League. Randall, you were on Twitter the other day saying the Mets are mediocre. Nonsense. That is inaccurate. I called last year's Mets team mediocre. Last year's Mets team, which missed the playoffs, I should say. I called this year's Mets team decent. So if you decent. want to quibble okay. about decent versus decent. good. Well, we that's nonsense. We can very good baseball there. team. Well, it's that's a bad analysis of this New York Mets team. It is a very good team, and that is a huge sweep for the Cubs. The first time this year the Mets have been swept in a three-game set. That's a team fighting for a division title with Atlanta right now with about two weeks to go. So uh, I think the Cubs, Jeremy, beat a great team all three nights here in New York, and how fun is that beating up on the Mets? Yeah, not just a sweep. Uh, let's Let's – Put it out there. Jacob DeGrom pitched in this series. Yeah. Not like they missed the Mets' top starters, and uh, they got to DeGrom. Ian Happ with a big homer, and then a you know a couple bunts playing out there all well. And they got to DeGrom, and you know they were up four nothing into the ninth of that game. So yeah, I mean anytime you can go to New York, and no matter what Shea City Field, who cares? Uh, and you can beat up the Mets. That's always fun. It's always nice. You know, I, I think of the Mets, you know, you know, rookie of the year, man. The Mets were the the rivals of the Cubs in that movie. So mm-hmm. um, I, I yeah, it was a fun series. You know, last week we were on a down. We were talking about how teams not playing well. And now we've won, you know, four of the last six games in a sweep. So yeah. over a top team in the league. So that's it's a good time to watch some Cubs baseball. And Ronan, you mentioned the Mets in a heated battle with the Braves for that NL East. The Mets got off easy. They got swept by the Cubs at the same time the Braves were losing two out of three out in San Francisco to that Giants team. So they are still uh, not not in as dire straits as they could be. But getting swept by the Cubs at home while you're in a close division battle, that that can't be fun. No, no. And uh, our buddy Mike Vanderhart started out the ballpark last night. Awesome seats. I don't think any of us have been to the new park in New York. Jeremy, you would have the best chance of having been there. You've not been to the new ballpark. No, I, the only game I've only ballpark I've been, I went to old Yankee stadium. I haven't been to either of the new ballpark. Yeah. I've never been to Shea either. So uh, yeah, it, it looks, it's kind of like a, like a, almost kind of looks like a box from above, but you know, yeah. uh, it, it's an interesting looking ballpark and I would love to make it out there. Mike looked like he had great seats and uh, yeah, you know, Cubs, Cubs taking a, a series in New York, like, our old friend Trevor Williams were out there today. Cubs were – he pitched pretty well, by the way. He had, like, five strikeouts in the first two innings he pitched. But, 
uh, it's nice to see the Cubs get off to a big, like, 6 nothing lead at yeah. the top of the first. Just David Patterson, just or Peterson, excuse me, didn't have it. Walking everybody, a bunch of doubles, Jan Gomes down the line, and uh, it was a fun game today. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be a fun podcast tonight. we got a lot to get to. We'll talk a little bit more about this mess series. There is a whole bunch of roster moves pertaining to the big league Cubs that's worth getting into a player that has become a fan favorite who's out with an injury. Maybe has played his last game as a Cub. A young pitcher that we're all excited about is back. We'll get to that. Cubs got the Rockies this weekend. We've got weather coming up. Big minor league news. Arizona Fall League news, and uh, we're getting close to the playoffs here, so I want to take a look around the league, get some thoughts here with about two weeks to go again until the postseason gets rolling here. And at the very, very end of the show, we're going to talk a little bit of Bears football because they shocked all of us, one on Sunday, and Jeremy, you were out there, and it was certainly a memorable game, I think, from everything that happened at Soldier Field. So I want to end with that tonight. This is episode 83 of Behind the Yellow Line. We are on Twitter at BTYL Podcast. Before we talk more about this Mets series, i got a quick story I want to share with you both. An occurrence happened, Randall. This evening, just prior to recording the podcast. An and occurrence. Soon, an an occurrence. occurrence. Do go on, Ronan. I love and your as, occurrences. As soon as the occurrence ended, I said, man, I wish Randall were here. It was one of those moments where it would have been perfect. Uh, got off work a little bit earlier today. The routine at that point, take the dog out, let him do his thing in the neighborhood. We had a light rain falling. So I put on my rain jacket, which, Jeremy, you've seen before. It is my early 90s Cubs starter jacket. So I got this like bright blue and red Cubs starter jacket on. I'm walking Huxley. He's doing his thing. And in the middle of him doing his thing, like a deafening boo gets lobbed close to me about 10 feet away. And I was a little startled. Like, okay, what's going on here? I look up. There's a gentleman who I would describe his appearance as he looked like Josh Hader. Wasn't Josh Hader, but that look, right? Tall, lanky, long hair, a little messed up in the face. You know, looked like Josh Hader. This guy's staring at me. Hatred in his eyes. It just he, this guy had hatred in his eyes and he's staring at me, booing directly at me. And I looked down, he's wearing a St. Louis Cardinals t-shirt out there going for a walk. So we have a little exchange and I say to him, Hey man, you know, you guys got the division this year, but we're coming, right? Like Cubs are coming. He grunts at me, Randall, he grunts at me and walks away. And I think, okay, that's the end of it. Huxley finished doing your thing. Guy gets about 60 feet away and he turns back. This is the kicker as Randall would put it. He goes, on the bright side, at least you guys are the lovable losers again. Walks away. Randall, what do you do? Well, first of all, I'd congratulate him on using that many syllables in his <laughs> uh, his closing argument. That's really advanced for that kind. And honestly, I don't I don't hold with Cardinals fans. You you like doing the playful back and forth. You guys got the vision this year, but we're coming. I would have just flipped him the double bird. That's a language they understand. I mean, they literally, they understand the double birds. It's on their jersey. Uh, but that's a language they understand. I don't go back and forth with Cardinals fan. One, because I don't speak in the right tone of grunts and whistles and clicks that they use to communicate. And two, I just don't like Cardinals fans. Talking to them brings you down to their level. You, you, you roll with the pigs, you get covered in shit. So, you know, you like doing the playful back and forth. I salute you for giving that Cardinals fan the only thrill that he's going to get from his baseball team this year. Uh, I wish would have just told him to go to hell. <laughs> Jeremy, you're coming out next week. We may see this guy walking around the neighborhood next week. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, I When you said that his response to you was 
uh to grunt i could i just was picturing i just well i could see randall but i just was thinking like oh that's right up randall's alley he's gonna he's gonna go with this hard that was that was the fastball middle that was a fastball middle in about 88 miles per hour just sitting there well the thing you know it was sort of a funny exchange and then he walks he 50 60 feet away and then turns around didn't love the kicker there at the end from him i thought okay dude like we had a little friendly banter why you want to get into this here. Uh, Harriet, who was out on the walk with me too, uh, at dinner was like, that guy was kind of an asshole is how oh, yes. she put it. So well, yes, <laughs> it was an interesting an, exchange here. It's endemic. It's endemic among their sort is asshole, asshole syndrome. You know, you talk about, you talk about uh, uh, various, various ailments, various diseases that afflict wild bird populations. Cardinals fans are afflicted with asshole syndrome. It's, it's endemic. It's generally passed on from the parents to the child. Um, it, it, you know, there's there really no cure for it. You can manage the symptoms and some do, but uh, there, there's no cure for it and there's no treatment for it. Well, I went down a dark road, Randall. I got in the Randall mindset for a minute and my dog is probably the most docile dog you're ever going to meet. He's lazy. He just lies on the ground all the time. I was thinking at that point, this is where you got to be a bit of an attack dog, right? Just got to take off the leash, go do your thing, send a message to that guy. Go get him, Huxley. Uh, yeah, go get him. Take care of business here. He <laughs> disrespected your family honor. So you got to, you know, that's exactly up. what he did. He made it personal. <laughs> well, um, Cubs Cardinals next year, it's going to be fun. I we There's a huge report, too, about the Cubs being especially aggressive. We'll get to that here in a second. But I want to go back to the Mets series here. Uh, Ian Happ hit a monster home run, a monster home run, second deck, right field, satisfying bomb there from a guy who's having a career year. Well, it's the big Happel now. I mean, that's, that's what it's been renamed. That's yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. I don't know how to follow that up. The big Apple. That's right. But yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Off Jacob de Grom, like what, yeah. a, what a bomb that was to, for a guy like that, for Ian Happ, who's, as you say, been playing very well. Uh, we talked about him last week, his defensive uh, capabilities, and we've talked about him all year, you know, having an all-star year. It's nice to see an Ian Happ being that guy. I mean, he's got 17 home runs on the year, which is pretty nice. You know, he's cut down his strikeouts a lot from when he was struggling with that a couple of years ago, um, but he's retained some of the power. And I was actually watching the, uh, the Reds-Pirates game earlier today, so check that out, Randall. And I thought it was pretty funny they were talking about um, – uh, I can't I can't remember which – Pirates player Brian Reynolds, who hits uh, who hits pretty well at uh, in Cincinnati, and one of the announcers was like, "He's Ian Happ esque," and I was thinking, like, "That's right, he is Ian Happ esque, hitting well at Cincinnati because Ian Happ kills you guys." That's uh, right. But <laughs> but I was just thinking about that, like, hey, they know. Um, but Ian Happ is having a, a monster year, and it's nice to see. Well, something that was not nice to see, uh, an injury to Rafael Ortega. homered earlier in the series against the Mets. This is who I was mentioning in the intro. He's become a bit of a fan favorite around Wrigley Field the last year or so. Randall, he's out with the broken finger. We're not going to see him again this year. Will we see him ever again as a Chicago Cub? You know, that's a, a real good question. Yeah, I, I kind of over Rafael Ortega as a, a player. The base running has turned me off a great deal. But just the same, he showed up for a season and a half now and played hard for two teams that were completely out of it. And, you know, that's that's respectable. And you certainly don't want to see his season end with a broken <laughs> finger. But I'm not going to say, you know, I am, you know, I am going to say, I am going to say he's played his last game as a Cub. I don't think they bring him back. I think he's done just enough good things as a, you know, a part-time player that some team will give him more of a shot than the Cubs will. I think the only way, the only way the Cubs end up bringing him back is if 
his market really, really does not materialize. And they need some guy to compete for like a stopgap center fielder job before one of Brennan Davis or PCA is potentially ready to come up midseason. But that's a lot of ifs in there. And I think the more ifs you put in there, the lower the chances of it happening are. So I will say he may have played his last game as a Cubs in, in a Cubs uniform. That would not surprise me if it goes down that way. I think, I mean, he's only, he's not even arbitration eligible yet. So I, I think he's going to be bad. I think their Cubs will carry him uh, over the off season. I, I imagine, I mean, they could not tender him, but I mean, he's like $500,000 to keep him. So why not? Um, you know, and, and I imagine him going through spring training. So I, I think he will make probably be around at the start of next year. I don't know if he'll finish the year uh, with the Cubs, but uh, we'll see. I mean, if they go out and they acquire a bunch of players and there's not really room for him, then yeah, I, I obviously I, he's not going to be around, but I, I think like, I just, I don't see a reason why they would just let him go. So, um, I mean, they could, but I, I, he's just so cheap to keep around. He, whatever he has, his strength and his weaknesses. And so I see him as, you know, kind of competing. I mean, Hermes Dio has come up and he's played a little bit here at the end. So I, I, I could see that being like, a, I, I know they're on different sides of the plate. Um, but I can see that kind of being a competition for, uh, you know, a backup outfielder spot in spring training. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff there for both of you. I, I agree, Randall, in particular, you don't want a guy like anybody's season to end with an injury, especially no. a guy who is likable. On the other hand, I do think center field needs to be a focal point of this offseason for the Cubs. And I think they need to even more so than offensively upgrade defensively in center field. Ian Happ's probably the left fielder. We all think next year, we think Say is going to be in right field. You need a real good defensive center fielder in there. And I think there's going to be some interesting names on the market, including a Dodger who could potentially be a good fit for the Cubs next year in center field. Whether or not the offense is there, a big defensive upgrade, I think improves the team for next year. And I think that works against Ortega in this case. So uh, we'll see what happens with them. We'll certainly be tracking that. Some other roster moves to go along with it. I guess we should talk a little bit about the player who is coming coming up to replace him and that is a former Cubs minor league player of the year Jared Young 2018 he was the Cubs offensive player of the year in the minors he's not been hitting all that well the last couple of years so we get two weeks to see what he does in a Cubs uniform yeah he's an, an interesting choice to call up in that he's up mostly to see if he's worth keeping in the organization there I think there's a real good chance that he probably ends up in uh, one of the foreign leagues next year, either playing in NPB in Japan or KBO in South Korea, this is a good chance to get a look at him and see if there's maybe worth giving him kind of that last chance. He's an interesting player, 16 home runs for AAA Iowa this season. He plays first base, second base, third base, and the corner outfield. So there's defensive versatility there. He's an interesting player to see if you can get a look at him in these last two weeks and see if there's really something there. He's been gestating in the minors for a, a little while. You know, he's certainly not uh He's certainly not a young prospect, but again, he's an interesting player and I'm interested to see him get a little bit of run down the stretch to see what you might have in him. I think it's cool that, you know, he's going to be a major league baseball player gets called up. You know, he's a guy that's been around for a while. Uh, as we've mentioned, he's been in the Cubs system since 2017. So, uh, you know, it's over five years uh, and he's had some success in the Cubs system. You said he was the 2018 Cubs offensive player or position player of the year. And yeah. so I think it's just kind of cool to, I don't, I don't know about it as a reward, but to like, okay, this is a guy who's been around for a while. He's, he's putting his dues. He's done his thing, you know, call him up for the last two weeks of the season. We'll see. He get his chance in the majors, see if he, if he can hit a little bit. I don't expect him to be uh, a key cog or any 
future Cubs team. I, I don't think he's really going to, you know, be, but I think as just getting a guy into the majors, I think it's kind of a cool thing to do. And I, I think one of the reasons he came up is that I, I think there's a real good chance he probably does not hold on to that 40 man spot. As you get into a big time crunch in the offseason. you got a lot of guys uh, of note who are going to be rule five eligible and you're going to need to protect some of them. I, I hate to describe a player like this. I think he's got a degree of maybe expendability to him. If you outright him off the 40 man roster and another team uh, potentially claims him that way, I think you say, okay, well, good luck to you. You're not, that broken up about losing him. I, I hate to describe a player that way, but I do think that factors into the calculus is that you bring up a player who you're not too worried about losing if you do have to put him through waivers in order to outright him off the roster. So he has that going for him as well. I don't know if that's a, a plus or a minus, but he has that going for him as well. It also speaks, I think, to the depth in the Cubs minor league system. Even if the top, like the top minor league guys aren't quite at those high levels yet, other than maybe Brennan Davis, there's a lot of interesting names there and there's guys that you feel like, Oh, we've got depth. Yeah. This is a guy that can play infield and outfield. But I think right now, other than center field, you're like, oh, outfield's in pretty good shape for the Cubs actually going into next season. So I'm with you, Jeremy. I love the story. This is a guy that um, was a top 20 round pick for the Cubs. So not necessarily a top pick and he's getting a chance in the big leagues and whatever happens with his career, He's a big leaguer. He's going to get to play at Wrigley Field. He might even hit a, a home run at Wrigley Field. So that's worth watching here these next uh, week and a half to two weeks. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's kind of interesting they did put him on the format because I, I do believe he's Rule 5 eligible at, this year. So mm -hmm. somebody could take him off the, the you know, the um, at the Rule 5 draft. But, uh, you know, putting him on the 40-man, uh, if they do carry him on the 40 man uh, obviously protects him. So I don't know. It's kind of an interesting little nugget that would go into that decision. Yeah. And I think that's a big conversation we're going to be having in about a month is yeah. what do you do with the 40 man roster here? There's a lot of names that are right on the bubble and I'm excited for that conversation. Zero question. We're just to throw some rough numbers out there. We're going to be looking at a list of probably good 10 names. I think that might be worth protecting and there may only be five or six spots with which to protect them. So I think that's going to be nearly a show in and of itself when we get that far is who of that pool do you to use a spot and protect yeah and which guys that are currently on it do you say hey it's been fun but good luck to you moving forward uh david Bodie is a name that comes to mind alec yeah. mills is a name that comes to mind but we'll have that conversation we're keeping this pod going all off season we're going to keep churning out content and uh a lot to be excited about there i want to talk about the off season in a minute but one other roster move that i think is worth mentioning here when the cubs get home this weekend to take on the colorado rockies we're going to see Adbert elzali we have not seen him this year and we're going to see him jeremy exclusively out of the bullpen this is interesting here to see if that combination of pitches he has is going to make him potentially a top tier reliever yeah, we've we've seen him a little bit in the past out of the bullpen, and he's had some some success um, there. I, I remember him coming out of the bullpen. I, I think even maybe his first appearances out of the his bullpen. major league debut, yeah. he got a win in in long relief pitching. Yeah. It may even have been against the New York Mets, who by the way were just swept by the Cubs at home. If anyone forgot, yeah, I was at that game. Um, so he he pitched pretty well, and so yeah, it's you know, guy Steph generally plays up out of the bullpen and. Uh, he's, he's had some struggles, uh, uh, particularly, you know, uh, I think he gets left-handed pitchers, but, or excuse me, hitters, but, uh, it'll be interesting to see 
you know, maybe he could make that adjustment. There's only, you know, two weeks, two to three weeks left of the season. So even if he were to start, it's not like he'd be getting a lot of starts in there. So I think it's just nice to see him back and pitching. I think that's the biggest thing. So, you know, you come out of the bullpen, just, just throw at the major league level, see what you got there. I, I wouldn't judge too much about what his role is or how he's doing it. I think right now it's just kind of let's just get this guy back into pitching. Like he's missed a lot of time over the past couple of years. He's had a lot of injuries. And so let's just get him kind of moving back into actually throwing the ball at a major league level. Yeah, this is about getting Alzali back on a major league mound and getting him into an offseason healthy, confident, and still believing that he can be a productive major league pitcher. And I do believe he can be a productive major league pitcher. I think the stuff is there. I think the ability is there. I think there's plenty of questions about what that role is. But I still believe in Edward Alzali, and I'll be happy to see him back at Wrigley this weekend. Uh, You know, missing the whole season with that lat injury, that has to be rough. Rehabbing, working your way back up from the, the complex leagues and then to rehabbing at Iowa, that has to be a really long season, a really difficult season. Good for him for keeping with it. And it'll be good to see him back at Wrigley. Yeah, absolutely. He was one of the guys in the off season that was real vocal with Stroman online, just excited to play together, excited to pitch together. We were all a little bit disappointed when he went out with an injury earlier in the year. The guy made 21 starts for the Cubs a year ago. So he's been all over the mound for the Cubs and it's going to be great to see him back and out of options. So you have to make a decision here. So put him back on the mound. Let's see how he's going to factor into the team for next year. And we'll get a little taste of that here as the season winds down. But I'm excited to see him back. I saw that news today, and I said, this is great. Let's see what's there. And it's there, there are pitchers on this Cubs team right now. It's a completely different feel with this team right now than back in April. And there's a lot of guys that when they're on the mound, I'm tuned in. I'm locked in. Like this, There's some movement that this guy has. This looks like fun, and Edward's going to be added to the mix here. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of guys that we were seeing that have pitched, you know, and we've, we've mentioned, you know, Adrian Sampson's coming yeah. out or, or um, some other guys along those lines. It's like, okay, what are we doing these last couple months? And seeing some of these guys that you didn't, maybe not didn't expect to ever be contributors, maybe kind of forcing their way into w- what is the plan for them this offseason? And you see a guy like Drew Smiley, he's pitched pretty well. And well, you know, he has a mutual option for next year. Um, but obviously those tend not to be picked up, but maybe he's interested in like resigning because he's had kind of a little bit of resurgence and the Cubs might be interested in bringing it back next year. So maybe they get something done kind of early. So there's a lot of pitchers out there that these last couple you know weeks, it's kind of interesting to see what the plan will be for them next next year. The offseason plan is a test and the Cubs have another two weeks left to study for it. And we, we get to uh, reaping the benefits is maybe putting a little more uh, good feeling on the season then is probably going to come out of it, but we get to see them study for this test the, the next two weeks and learn who's going to be worth keeping around, who's going to be worth the effort and the development in the off season going into next year. And that's something to watch for that. You know, we always say, what are you going to, how do you, how do you get through a season like this? Part of it is seeing who you've got and what you've got in them. And again, we're going to get a, a big dose of that these last two weeks. And it makes this week, especially interesting okay so cubs aren't going to the playoffs this year we're all thinking how do you make next year a playoff team but for some of these young guys in particular guys that haven't had a lot of experience in the majors you go to a place like new york there's nothing bigger than going to new york city you're at a team that's going to win high 90s games this year they've got a legitimate chance at a pennant and world series title this year and you're out there competing against them and winning I think that is just tremendous and huge for these guys to be around good teams is important, but to then be competitive against them and beat them, 
you want to go into the offseason with a little bit of momentum there, especially some of these guys in the bullpen, and we're seeing that. And it's been a long year. There have been long losing streaks and some terrible stretches of baseball. It's satisfying to see young guys out there competing and winning games against legitimately good teams. And uh, Randall, I wish our audience could see Randall right now. Massive broom just draped on his shoulder, ready to sweep away those Mets. And I'm ready to sweep away those Mets. I've already swept away the Mets. The broom is now getting brushed off because you got to clean the Mets off your broom. Can't let them stick there or they'll they'll multiply like that orange fungus when they came into Kerr's Field. And you you sent me those pictures earlier this season. He said, Randall, look at all these Mets fans. You'd hate this. I go, yeah, I would. I don't like Mets fans. (laughs) It was Santa taught me better than that. I'd also point out, going with what you were saying, Ronan, uh, it's not just a high 90s win team or mid to high 90s win team. That's that's a team in a pennant race. So these games all matter to the Mets, and it matters to everyone in that stadium and the fans. So it's not just like a team cruising to, you know, winning their division or whatever. It, those were games that mattered, and the Cubs swept them. Yeah. Yeah, well, you've been hearing about this. Cubs have actually been very good against the New York Mets in the last decade, I think, of 2015. Uh, I know it didn't go well in the NLCS for about the regular season. If you recall, the Cubs and Mets played seven times in 2015 in the regular season. The Cubs won all seven games. I saw a stat the other day, the only time in the last decade that the Cubs had a losing record in the regular season against the Mets, 2016. That ended up okay for the Cubs. And, you know, Cubs battle this weekend, or this week rather, take a couple games in New York City. Uh, Let's talk about the offseason for a minute. Randall's guy, David Kaplan of ESPN 1000. Uh, Take That, I think, is his... ESPN Zero. It's uh, Take That, right? That's the... Well, the recap he's or with take right that, now. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's well, take, that. It's take, take that. that. It's take the recap. Re- take the recap. Take that and throw it in the garbage. Is is actually the hashtag. It's a really long hashtag. Take that. Well, he, he had some news this week that I do think is worth discussing. Uh, essentially, saying uh, from his sources that the Cubs have mutual interest with a couple of high-profile free agents. Uh, The two that come to mind that he mentioned, shortstop Trey Turner, the former national turned Dodger, and then Carlos Rodon, the former White Sox, now a member of the San Francisco Giants, basically saying the Cubs are very serious about both of these players, and both of these players would love to play for the Chicago Cubs. Jeremy, those are big-time names, right? We're talking about the Cubs being competitive next year. You put both of those guys in the mix – the Cubs are a much better team. This is exciting if you believe David Kaplan's sources. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's the thing. Is that David Kaplan, I it would, like, well, he says he's hearing whatever, but uh, it's kind of weird also in the middle of the season like that this would be coming out. But uh, I do believe that the Cubs are very interested in paying lots of money this offseason and bringing people in, and I think both these guys would fit tremendously. I mean, Trey Turner, I think you were alluding to it before. Um Trader is maybe a guy who you can play center field. Like he's a great Ooh. athlete. He's very fast. Um, you know, if you want to keep Nico at shortstop and you can move Trey Turner around, like he's played it in the past. He's played center field. I, I haven't really looked at his numbers, but you know, that's a guy maybe you can move around because he's a tremendous athlete. Um, and Carlos Rodon has been a great, I was a little skeptical of him last year because the injuries, the shutdown at the end of last season, then kind of not really having it in the playoffs, but he's pitched this whole year and he's pitched great. And so, and you know, you, if you believe Cap, he he loves pitching in Chicago, and he would be interested in in pitching back in Chicago. And uh, so, I think both of those guys would be tremendous additions. Um, I do, but there's so many shortstops out there that it's hard for me not to believe the Cubs won't end up with one. So I feel like there's going to be a shortstop the Cubs on both. And Trey Turner is a great fit. 
Yeah, I appreciate you opening that door of if you choose to believe Cap, I do not choose to believe Cap. I'm going to walk through that door and you do not choose to believe Cap. But in a vacuum, I, I do believe there's enough smoke to make me think that the Cubs are willing to spend this offseason. And just to come to these two names, Trey Turner has 20 home run power with elite speed at a position where the Cubs potentially have a need. There's no reason not to like that as an idea. Carlos Rodon, the injury history is still there, but he's been healthy this year and he's been very good excellent strikeout numbers this year then that's playing for a team that's not particularly good jeremy one note on trey turner he hasn't played center field since 2016 uh which was officially his rookie season so i don't know how keen a team would necessarily be on trying that in 2023 but like you said it is something he has done before and you know Teams get creative with free agent positions all the time. So I do believe that the Cubs are willing to spend out there. You mentioned that the shortstop market has a lot of top shelf players on it. You've got Correa, who will probably opt out. You have Xander Bogertz out of Boston. You have Trey Turner. Like you said, any of those three, it would be hard to be mad at. And I think Nico kind of said through the media this week, he doesn't mind moving back to second base if it means the Cubs uh, are able to sign an elite shortstop. And Nico, of course, a very nice young man. I expect him to say that because that's that's kind of guy he is. But yeah, I believe that the Cubs are willing to spend this offseason. Just go out there and make it happen. Don't just be willing to spend. Do what you have to do to get these players. It would be hard to be mad at any of those three shortstops as your one of your marquee additions for Marquee Network. And, you know, that's why they call it Marquee Network. Uh, but it would be hard to be mad at any of the three. Well, I'm mostly on the same page with you guys on this. I will disagree with you, Randall, in saying I do believe Kaplan. Uh, I, I'm, and I, it's, I think what benefits me in all of this is I don't follow him on social media and I don't live in Chicago. So I, I, I'm not exposed to David Kaplan. Well, like, I, got, I got half that down. You guys are, but just sort of being in the area, you'd be you'd be exposed to it a little bit more. Um, I get all the Broncos hot takes, and there's Ooh. a lot of Broncos hot takes Ooh. this week wow. after Monday night. Oh, that's right. I do think to David Kaplan's credit, dare I say that, he's got a lot of sources with the Cubs and he has had a lot of sources with the Cubs over the years. He's been ahead of a lot of stories, particularly in recent years, Theo going when he did, Saya coming in. I think he has sources here that are telling him the truth. For points that you guys are both making though, both of these players make sense. The Cubs absolutely need to spend a ton of money and getting a top line starting pitcher is maybe the biggest priority for the Cubs this offseason. So both of these players, you, you could imagine from like a, a personnel standpoint too, um, Rodon spent a lot of time in Chicago. He knows the city. He knows the ballpark. He understands what it means to play for a competitive Cubs team. Why would he not want to come back to Chicago where his family has spent a lot of time most of the last decade? Uh, same thing with Trey Turner. I mean, the guy's been in Los Angeles, like one of the great baseball cities in the country. He's a top-line free agent. Why not go to Wrigley Field? The Cubs look to be spending money. they got this great farm system. It just seems to make a lot of sense. Now, Jeremy, the one thing that I wanted to come back on that you mentioned there, the center fielder I was referring to is Cody Bellinger. I think he would make a very interesting potential one-year deal or two-year deal for the Cubs this offseason out in center field. I know he's been bad, but this is a guy who's still young. He'd be 27 next year. He has some monster seasons under his belt. And if you want to go out, take a flyer on a guy who can play center field, yeah, give him a call. I'd love to see where that could potentially go. Well, I'm going to say, Rona, not once have I ever considered Cody Bellinger as a potential target. But now that you've brought it up, on the right deal, I'm certainly not against it. Insurance at first base, insurance uh, in, at center field. If you get him on the right contract, I think that would be low-key a great move. You said he's got all the talent in the world. 
Uh, I think you play up a little more in Wrigley, smaller ballparks in the NL Central versus the NL West. I think that'd be a great move. Uh, so I will I will say that if the Cubs do do that this offseason, I will retroactively give you credit for it. And I'm much more apt to give you credit than I am to give Kaplan credit. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, Coley Bellinger, you know, yeah, depending on what it is. The one thing I for me that uh, frightens me with Cody Bellinger is that I feel like when he separated his shoulder and I think it was in the World Series, like that really kind of hindered it. Like he's kind of lost power. Is that bad speed slowed down? And I don't know if it's like a physical thing or what, but and it might have nothing to do with that, that his performance has tanked. But that's just one thing like I, I wouldn't want to know his like For medical sure. history. But yeah, if the Cubs are going to go out there, he's a, definitely a guy you would be interested in taking a chance on. Because yeah. as you say, he has done in the past. And he's so young. But yeah. you bring up a good point with the injury. He's a great athlete. Great athlete. He's, his defense has uh, been rock solid. And center field, like we're talking about Ortega a little bit ago, yeah, I think maybe Bellinger would be a more interesting flyer for the Cubs in center field than a guy like Ortega. But we've got the all-off season to think about these things. Um, just some names that were coming to mind there. But I think it's a very good sign over the last couple of weeks, reports from Ken Rosenthal, reports that have been leaked to the local media, Cap now doing his thing, take that, Randall. The Cubs are going to spend I will money. take that. Just not going to tell you where I'm going to take that. They're going to be very active this offseason. And one thing I think that has been made clear in the last couple of weeks that maybe wasn't the case back in April and the last couple of years with the Cubs, they have some legitimate big league depth here. They need some star power that they don't have right now. In the starting rotation, another big bat would help. But there are some really good players on this Cubs team, uh, more depth in the bullpen, more depth in the outfield and the infield, that if they can add a little bit of firepower, there's a legitimate division contender next season on the north side. And that has me excited. It's kind of an interesting parallel to where the Cubs were in 2014. They had the star power ready to come up from the minors. Rizzo was already up. Baez was already up. Soler was already up. Bryant was knocking on the door every night. They had the star power. They needed the depth. Uh, the guy like Miguel Montero, perfect example. And they still went out and they still got the, the big name in John Lester. Now, as you said, you've got a lot of the really good depth in place. And now you're going to have to go through free agency or trade to bring in that star power. So it's kind of an interesting differentiator from where they were in 2015 as to what they're going to need to bring in externally uh, in order to really complete this roster and make it competitive. Yeah, they have they have some pieces and they have some interesting um, pieces in certain spots. We've talked about it. And, you know, they as you said, they, they do have to go in and bring those top line players they have to bring in. And they have a lot of options of where they can go. Like, you know, first base is probably a spot where they can go and acquire somebody, um, you know, uh, third ba third base maybe would be a spot. They could maybe do an upgrade. You know, I do believe they're going to go out and get one of these top shortstops. And that's probably going to move one of these other players. Um off of shortstop, you know, or second base, you know, we'll see where Madrigal is. He's played pretty well since coming off the IL, but he's hurt again. So he's kind of got an injury history now. Uh, Nico, obviously, has been great. You know, Ian and Saya. Say has been great this last month. Like, this last month, yeah. Say has been great. He's been good all year. Christopher Morrell has shown things. You know, he's had his rough spots, but he's kind of showing maybe we can see him there. And uh, maybe they found a DH in Fran Mel Reyes. So, like, there's all these pieces that are there. And so it's going to be a very interesting offseason to see, okay, we have all these kind of, as you got, as you say, like depth pieces are okay around us. We need to go in and get some top level guys and they could probably fit top level guys in, in a few different positions. You're right. And there's, there's always the non-zero chance low, but non-zero that maybe you sign a guy like Bogertz or Correa 
who has a bat that will play at any position. Maybe you move one of them to third base. I don't think that will happen, but I don't think you can rule it out completely. I think Correa would be just fine defensively at third base and the bat would play there. Likewise for Bogertz. Again, I don't think that will happen. I think both of these guys want to be free agent shortstops and play shortstop for a marquee team as opposed to third base, but you can't rule it out. It has happened in the past. We know the Cubs have very strong uh, leadership in that front office. It's really capable of talking to potential free agents and really selling them on what the plan is. So it's another thing you can't rule out. You move Correa to third base, keep Nico at short and, and you know, keep Madrigal and maybe Morels and another rotation of guys at second base. And that's still a really good left side of your infield. And that's still a really good infield total. So again, I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen, but it's the sort of thing you can't rule out as a possibility as the Cubs go shopping at the, uh, the really expensive free agent mall on the top floor yeah. where the really expensive stores are. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, personally, I, I, I don't think any of those guys probably would. Be, I mean, if you're going to pay all these guys, I think they'd be fine for the most part playing anywhere. That's true. Like, That's if they're going to get paid, money, and they're going to play. Money talks. I think you would say, you know, Carlos Crow, maybe, maybe he does prefer being a shortstop, but I think, like, all right, we're going to pay you, you know, all this money. Do you mind trying out third base at least at the start, you know? So, and then we'll see if things don't work out, we can move you back. I think, like, most guys would probably be okay yeah. with that. <laughs> Look, they're getting paid regardless. That's right. There's a little bit of pride, certainly, that comes into it in ego. But you think about some guys, Machado, in recent years, go back further, like an A-Rod. Exactly right, Jeremy. A-Rod, there will come a time where it's in the best interest of the team to move over. Randall, I'd say it's inevitable that any of these shortstops they go on and get aren't necessarily going to be at short throughout the time that they're in Chicago. But it's, uh, it's exciting. And I just love that the momentum is there. The reports are leaking. This is going to be an off season. There's no labor issues to worry about this off season. So let's go get it. And it's going to be fun. Last year, Suzuki coming in, uh, Stroman coming in. That was the first, first two times we had gotten to enjoy watching free agents choose the Cubs since Darvish prior to the 2018 season. That's a good feeling. I like that feeling. Let's do it like two or three times this off season. And one more I would mention who's not necessarily – like a third baseman, but uh, I mean, Alfonso Soriano, like when he came to the Cubs, they put him in center field. And I don't, I'm not even sure how much outfield he'd ever, I don't think he played, or maybe played that one year in Washington. He played a little bit of outfield, but he'd never played center field before. The Cubs were just like, we're going to give you $180 million and go play center field. And it it didn't work out, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of crazy that they did The Nationals traded for second baseman Alfonso Soriano, and they told him you're playing left field. And I think he fought that for a little while and then just kind of trotted out there. And he made himself a lot of money from the Cubs as a free agent outfielder. And like you said, you know, he had only ever played left field and the Cubs put him in center field. Didn't last. He will be known as Cubs left fielder, Alfonso Soriano. But it did go down that way between two teams. So, you know, position player position changes do happen after free agency. And the Cubs are potentially in a position to try that again. Lots to get into. I'm I'm ready for uh, some off-season talk here, but let's enjoy the final two, two and a half weeks of the season. Just two off days remaining this year for the Cubs. One tomorrow, that's Thursday, September 15th. Another, the final Monday of the month. The Cubs are home this weekend, three with the Rockies. They go on the road to Miami and Pittsburgh next week, and then just one more homestand after that. So lots to get into. Cubs-Rockies have had a wild relationship with each other over the years. Randall, Wrigley Field, mid-September, what are we looking at weather-wise this weekend? Well, it is everyone's favorite time, that time of the show where we read the weather provided to us by Alexander Hall 
at Alexander Hall of Cubs Weather at Cubs Weather. Find him and find them on Twitter. Both great follows. All of the games in this series against the Colorado Rockies are at that traditional, wonderful Wrigley Field start time of 1.20 p.m. Central Time. Alexander describes the series vibe as it feels a little warm after the first hints of pumpkin season. But on the other hand, this is very baseball weather. Much warm, so gust. Wow. Friday, 81 degrees at game time with a mix of clouds and sun. It'll be a pinch humid, but not bad. The wind will be blowing pretty hard out to left field, center field at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Saturday, where I intend to be out at Wrigley, temperatures will be even warmer, 85 degrees, mostly sunny. It'll be hot in the sun, and the wind will be blowing even harder straight out to center field, 15 to 25 miles per hour. Keep that ball down. And then finally, Sunday, another 120 start, 85 degrees with a mix of clouds and sun, a slight chance for a shower, and winds out to center field again, 15 to 25 miles per hour. The Cubs will then go on the road down to Miami, the house that Derek Jeter did not build, but he lived there for a while. An easy forecast for Alexander, uh, as he describes that domed facility down there in Miami. The roof will definitely be closed the entire series. It's been very hot in Miami lately. Lots of temperature records broken this summer, not just in Florida, around the country. Uh, every day, highs around 88 degrees and thunderstorms likely. I believe that's actually the state motto of Florida, Ronan, as the only person on this podcast who has lived in Florida. Highs around 88 and thunderstorms likely daily. So as always, that is the weather provided to us by at Alexander Hall. Find him on Twitter at that handle. Find the account that he runs with two other wonderful individuals, Colin and Andrew, at Cubs Weather. They keep you updated on all of the Cubs weather and some, some of the non-Cubs weather even, uh, no matter what day it is or what time of year it is. So as always, we thank Alex for the weather contributions. Yeah, really good stuff there. Thank you for sending that in. Uh, didn't slip past me, Randall. You're going to be at Wrigley Saturday. I will. How fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's a Stroman bobblehead day. I'm still working out a rival, weighing, uh, maybe weighing the, the monetary value of a little extra sleep that day versus the bobblehead. We'll see how the 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 risk evaluation, the, the valuation plays out there. But yeah, it'll be nice to be out at Wrigley. I, of course, I'm a more of a cool weather guy. I prefer it be a little bit cooler, especially in September, but it'll be dry. It'll be sunny and you can't beat Wrigley on a resplendent sunny day, no matter what time of year it is. The color palette is unmatched. The views unbeatable. It'll be a good time. That surprises yeah. me, Randall, that uh, you would not be all in on the Stroman bobblehead. Well, and Jeremy is, is as I know you as a guy who likes to get to the, into the ballpark pretty early. Oh, I will be in the ballpark when gates open. It's a question of when I will be in line to get into the ballpark. I oh, will you actually think they're going to get you think they're going to run out of Stroman bobbleheads. Oh, I do think they're going to run out of Stroman bobbleheads. It's a Saturday. It's a bobblehead crowd. I think there's a very good chance that if I'm, yeah, I think there's a very good chance that uh, they will run out of Stroman bobbleheads, but I will be in that ballpark when gates open. I intend to just lollygag around Wrigley for two hours before the game starts. And there's nothing better than that. I feel like if you're in there when gates open, you got a good shot at getting you're a gonna bobblehead. You're going to be fine. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. You have two jobs then. Get your bobblehead and to uh, post some content to uh, our Twitter account, please. Some behind the scenes shots around the ballpark. You got that camera eye. Send some nice shots for us. Plus, Randall, a little part of me is going to be at Wrigley Field this weekend with the Colorado Rockies in town. So, Oh, we'll I thought you meant like a raven, like Odin from North Mythology, who's just going to scoop in and do your voices uh, while I'm while I'm sitting there watching the game. Dinger's coming through. He's got That's to right. uh, meet up with Clark. Jeremy, will we see you at Wrigley this weekend? Um, More than likely, no, unfortunately. But I, I do plan on getting back out to the ballpark before the season ends at least one more time, hopefully twice. 
Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see you out there. Uh, one more homestand for the Rockies here in Denver, and uh, one or two games is what I'm thinking here. i got to get out there. Uh, and, Jeremy, next week when you're here, uh, the Giants are in town and the Padres are in town. So we'll see if we can work that into the schedule a little bit. Uh, over the years, these teams have played some crazy games at Wrigley Field. The Ricky Gutierrez game in 2001. I was at an Alex Gonzalez walk-off home run against the Colorado Rockies in 2003. That was the beginning of May with my dad. Uh, 2007, they had that game where the fan charged the mound. 2008, the big comeback. I mean, year after year, these teams play at Wrigley Field. It gets weird. Weird shit happens when the Rockies come to Wrigley. That doesn't make for a great acronym. WSH, WTR, CTW. It's not a great acronym, but it's still true. In 2001, Mongo McMichael ejected while singing the stretch by Angel Hernandez. Uh, 2007, uh, a, a very nice walk-off. 2008, you just talked about the big comeback. 2014, the Fiesta Forever game where they did, in fact, go all night long and the backup catcher got the win on the mound while scoring the game-winning run. 2015, they blew what was a comfortable lead in the ninth and Chris Bryant sent everybody home happy. And I see you've added 2008 to our list here, just because I'm only thinking of the wins that happened when the cup, when the Rockies come to Wrigley, but of course, 2018, the Cubs lost the wild card game at Wrigley. Weird shit happens when the Rockies come to Wrigley. I, I can only imagine these are two very bad teams and the Rockies on the road, especially. So I can only imagine what's going to happen in this series. Um, even if nothing happens, like routine fly ball to center field, it's caught by the center fielder. I'm just still going to go weird shit happens when the Rockies come to Wrigley. So we can only imagine what we might see this weekend, but it, it's always interesting. And I, I got another one. I yeah, And I'm not a Cubs win, unfortunately, but uh, I do believe there was a game in the late 90s. I want to say it was late 90s, I think early 2000s, where the Rockies scored in every single inning yes. against the Cubs. And that was that's a rare thing for a team to score in every inning. It only happened like, you know, a handful of times. I'm, I'm sure it's happened since, but not many, not often. And so they scored one run in every inning. And I remember that being at Wrigley against the Cubs. And what I remember about that, and I think it was the Sun-Times, not the Tribune, the next day the paper just had the, like, the width of the paper at the top was the scoreboard. And you just saw, you know, three runs, six runs, whatever they scored in each inning. And I remember seeing that going, God, that's a, that's a bad sight. You go to the ballpark and the other team is crooked numbers every inning. You got a real problem. Yeah, And it, it should be noted. And not only does weird shit happens when the Rocky comes to Wrigley, but you're also going to be having the wind howling out to left field and center field this weekend. And it's just, a, you know, it'll be warm September. You're going to have the bobblehead crowd. Weird things happen in the bobblehead crowds. You're literally just throwing ingredients into the cauldron here and, and stirring them up and just going to sit back and watch what comes out of the uh, watch what comes out of the cook pot here. Weird shit happens yeah. when the Rockies come to Wrigley. I'm excited. What I'm not excited about is it's a pain in the ass for me to watch these games. Rockies games are blacked out for me on MLB TV. So I got to get creative to watch these games this weekend. Rob Manfred. I know how to watch illegal streams of baseball games. You want to make it hard for me to watch it? Fine. I'll do it that way. But it's Game a on, you game. son of a bitch. Yeah. Hey, you know, uh, maybe a chance to pop over to McGregor Square, watch a little bit up on the big board there. I was thinking about these teams. I got a quick trivia question for you both. Curious where you go with it. Uh, these teams have been playing since 1993. That was the first year the Rockies were in Major League Baseball in the National League. The Cubs obviously been around forever. Friday will be the 216th regular season matchup between the Chicago Cubs and the Colorado Rockies. So it's been an odd number of games up to this point, which means one team has won more games than the other. 
back to 1993, who has more wins, the Cubs or the Rockies, when they play head-to-head? And of course, I'm talking regular season. I'll say Rockies. I will also say Rockies just because they weird things happen when you go into Coors or even the former uh, Mile High Stadium. So I am going to say Rockies just because it can be very difficult for road teams to win in Colorado. So I will also say Rockies. Well, you're both wrong. But about that? let's see how weird it gets here. So they played 215 times. The Cubs have 108 wins. The Rockies have 107. Wow. And if you include that playoff game, they played 216 times, a perfect split going back to 1993. So right on the money there, uh, Cubs have obviously been better at Wrigley Field. They've struggled more on the road. One other trivia question. So they played in the 90s. They played in the 2000s, the 10s, and we're here in the 20s. So over four decades, the Cubs have played the Rockies. In just one of those decades, the Cubs have a winning record, despite having the overall winning record. Which decade do the Cubs have more wins than the Rockies? 90s, 2000s, 10s, or 20s? I will go with the 2000s. I'll say the 10s. Good guesses. It is the 2000s. The Cubs... 37 and 28 in that stretch in the 2010s, which started ugly for the Cubs, of course, 28 and 34. If you recall, they had a four game set earlier this year at Coors Field. Cubs won two, Rockies won two. So uh, excited to see what you think, Randall. I've seen a lot of the Rockies this season. It's a very bad team, but they've had an interesting week here. They've been on the south side for the first couple of days. Uh, winning a huge game today against Dylan Cease. Now they go to the north side and they get the Wrigley experience. Uh, if you're a Rocky, that's going to be a bit of an eye-opening experience, right? Three games on the south side, then you get to Wrigley, and it's like, oh, okay, this is how you build a ballpark. So a little <laughs> shot there at the White Sox, but uh, should be fun to see the Rockies at Wrigley and Randall out there as well. Uh, pivot to the minor leagues here. Some big news. We talked last week about minor leaguers unionizing major league baseball opting to recognize that. So Jeremy said, Hey, this is a celebration now, but who knows what this is going to look like in a couple of years. But for now, the minor leaguers on board and they're going to get some major league protection. Now, maybe that's one way of thinking about it. Yeah. On last week's edition, we read off the news to you that they were voting via union card and that they had to reach a certain threshold for that effort to move forward. In the less than a week since we've recorded, uh, it has accelerated drastically. Not only did they hit and blow past that threshold, but Major League Baseball themselves decided to forego what we thought was going to be at least part of a very contentious fight. And they came right and said, right out and said, we will voluntarily recognize the minor league unionization efforts. And in that same time span, all of those voting cards were verified by an independent arbiter. And the minor league players are now a recognized union represented by the MLBPA, which is a, another huge step forward. And, you know, we, we keep saying that these are just steps forward, but every step forward you get out of the way without, you know, uh, figurative carnage, I hope not literal carnage, but every step you get out of the way is a step closer to getting this done. I think the eventual negotiating of a CBA for the minor leaguers is going to be the real messy part, but that MLB has opted to voluntarily recognize the minor league union without needing to be uh uh, forced into it by the National Labor Relations Board. That's huge. We thought they were going to draw this out. We thought they were going to fight it, and they still are in their own way. But this is a huge roadblock out of the way. Jeff Passan, the great baseball reporter, one of the few national reporters whose work I appreciate, he called this um, 
He called this an acceleration. He called this uh, speeding up that nobody expected. And it's really good to see because, again, every step you can get out of the way without it being contentious is great for this effort. So good for MLB, uh, whatever their motives were, good for the minor leaguers. Let's keep going and let's get this done. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I Just thinking about it, I just feel like, you know, for MLB's point or perspective, I, I it makes sense to do it to me because – I don't know what they would have gained just by fighting it. It just would have been a fight and they eventually probably would have lost it. So it's just kind of a fight for no reason. And so I imagine whatever contentions they have, will that be an actual, you know, negotiations when they will actually be head to head with the union arguing about things. And then that will be probably, you know, some fireworks there. And also for the union, like now they, now it seems to me like, like they have, you know, these minor leaguers that they're responsible for and, and the things of, you know, the amateur draft and, and amateur spending and the international draft and all these things like, okay, now it's not just like, you know, the players kind of, but now these are the actual members who are actually going to be affected by these things. They have to actually fight for these things and they actually have to put it up. And this is actually for that. And so now it kind of changes almost a little bit of the mission of the union of major league baseball union, because it's not just, you know, whatever we're doing, doing for the major league baseball players, because now it's okay. We have all of these professional baseball players under this umbrella. So I think that's actually kind of an interesting change that it actually kind of forces that. And that's something that we discussed this past off season, as we were going through the doldrums of the ongoing labor fight, what the players priorities were, what the league's priorities were. We three debated back and forth, whether it was the responsibility, whether it should be the responsibility of the major league players to try and work into their efforts as part of what you get paid as a younger player, trying to help those who are going to come after them. Uh, as far as future players or the current youngest players. And now that's part of the MLBPA's mandate is not just to negotiate for the major league players, but like you said, Jeremy, they're also going to be negotiating conditions and pay and other things for the uh, entire assembled minor leagues. And like you said, that changes the paradigm of their mission, of their goals and of their perspective a great deal. We are, I think, entering a future of labor negotiations for MLB and minor league baseball that none of us really saw coming. And I think it's kind of hard to expect how it's going to go when it comes down to that. So it's, it's a whole new paradigm that we're entering into. It's a big deal. Yeah. Seismic shifts across baseball these last few years and more will change here. The good news though, labor peace through at least December of 2026 and a nice window here for the Cubs to be competitive. Uh, Staying on the minor leagues, thinking about the Cubs being competitive, the Cubs are not going to be playing meaningful baseball games deep into October, but some minor leaguers have a huge profile opportunity here with the Arizona Fall League. Cubs announcing a whole slew of Pretty significant names in the minor leagues are going to be appearing here. Brendan Davis, the former number one prospect for the team. Miguel Amaya, health pending, could see him. Matt Mervis, who in Iowa right now is doing everything he can to earn a spot with the big league Cubs next year at first base. Jeremy, you love the Arizona Fall League. It's a it's high-profile minor league talent, and the Cubs are sending some of their best out there this year. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I mean, obviously for Brent Davis, like he missed a significant amount of time. So it's just, you know, keeping, uh, you know, trying to get, trying to get that back. Like it's important for him to try to get these at best, you know, play for him. And, and as you mentioned, Matt Mervis just crushing it. Like, I think it shows how, you know, they're trying to see like, what is there more? But for me, the interesting names are uh, some of these pitchers because, uh, 
They have these, I, I mean, Bailey Horn, who they got for, from uh, the White Sox. But outside of that, they have three pitchers here, Zach Lee, Riley Martin, Shel- Sheldon Reed, who are kind of like came out of nowhere. Like each of these guys, like Sheldon Reed was an undrafted free agent, didn't really play much in college at Clemson. Riley Martin signed for $1,000. That's his signing bonus as a yeah. senior signed six-round draft pick from Quincy University, which is in Quincy, Illinois. And Zach Lee, uh, I, another guy who was just, he, you know, I think he got $50,000 signing bonus. So, like, the fact that these three guys who came in probably not considered really prospects when the Cubs signed them or acquired them. Um, and now they're in the Arizona Fall League, and that shows that the Cubs actually think they had something with these guys. So I think that's kind of crazy that they have these three pitchers who, you know, they just kind of, you know, they were filler, probably organizational filler for the most part. And now the Cubs believe in them enough to throw them into the Arizona Fall League because you don't just put somebody in the Arizona Fall yep. League. You have to actually believe in them. And uh, so I think that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, that's what jumped out at me, Jeremy, is that these pitchers aren't your necessarily top pitching prospects in the organization. These are all guys who came in pretty unheralded this season, and they've all broken out this season to the point where the Cubs want to see more of them. They want to uh, pitch them against the top competition in the AFL where you're facing top prospects from every other organization and they want to give these guys more innings and they want to give these guys more opportunities to really show their ability. And that's notable because guys can get 40 man spots out of a good AFL. That's how Nelson Velasquez ended up on the 40 man roster last off season. And so it's notable that, like you said, the Cubs have seen enough out of these guys that they want to give them this extra look against high level minor league competition. And that makes it really interesting to watch. Um, And then you can find a great scouting report on these seven players and especially these pitchers on Bleacher Nation. Uh, Brett Taylor did a great post earlier today, kind of detailing these seven players, um, especially the pitchers who may not necessarily be household prospect names. We'll retweet that. You can find it on our timeline at BTYL podcast by the time this episode is up. Give that a read. Get to know these guys. These are all guys who could potentially move fast next season as well. And that's what makes the AFL interesting is it's the sort of thing that resonates into next season. So we'll all be paying attention. Yeah. And, and just to go back just one second, like I know I mentioned it, but think about what I mentioned about Riley Martin. He signed for a thousand dollars. Yeah. Like that was his signing bonus as a six round pick senior sign only like the Cubs said, we'll draft you whatever a thousand dollars just so they have all this money to sign all these other players, right. To use all that bonus money. And now he's in the Arizona Fall League. Like, he's probably a guy who's been scraping by the entire time because we talk about the, the plight of the minor leaguer. Like, he got a $1,000 signing bonus. He's not making much money in salary. He's not one. He's not Brennan Davis, who has a million-dollar signing bonus or whatever. He's, you know, scraping by. And now he's in the Arizona Fall League. So, it, it I, to me, that says something that the Cubs think there's something there. Yeah. And if you're listening right now and you're thinking, okay, the Arizona Fall League, I've heard of it before. Is it really that big of a deal? It absolutely is that big of a deal. About 60% of the players who've appeared in the Arizona Fall League, think of all the guys, starters, relief pitchers, infielders, outfielders, 60% of those players get to the big leagues. You're talking about hundreds of major league all-stars, Cy Young winners, MVPs. This is the very best talent, some of the very best talent in the minor leagues playing down there. Uh, To me, I've said this on the podcast before, it would be like the one perk to living in Arizona. If you lived in Arizona and you were down there, (laughs) the opportunity to go to these games for eight bucks or 10 bucks, see all this talent, I think there's a huge missed opportunity Major League has in promoting these games, making it accessible to fans, building up the fun. They got all those colleges down there. Get the kids from ASU out there for dollar beer night. Have a good time. It's immense talent and the Cubs are sending some really cool names there. It's something I'll be watching this fall. MLB misses a huge opportunity to not market this towards 
I don't want to say a wider crowd, but I think there's a, a very, very focused plurality among the serious baseball fan who would absolutely play, pay $10 to watch all of the AFL games streamed and watch like a quad box all day of just four games going on at once. And I think they miss, I think they miss out on that opportunity to do real simple broadcasts of these games for the prospect watchers. And one note I do want to note, um, in addition to the AFL, three of the Cubs top four draft picks will be making their pro debuts in the instructional league for the Cubs this fall. And of course, that's Cade Horton, Jackson Ferris, and Nazier Moulet. Jeremy, do I have that right? Nazier Moulet? Uh, I think he goes by, I think he just goes by Nas Moulet. So Nas Moulet, okay. <laughs> Nas Moulet, Nas, you want to let me know which one you prefer. But three of the Cubs' top four draft picks, they will be making their pro debuts in the instructional league this year. We could very easily be talking about all three of those guys as AFL uh, sendees next season. So that's something to watch for too. Well, Randall, you got a couple other minor leaguers on your mind. Uh, who has your attention this week with your prospect corner? Well, we got two players this week. Uh, each of them, both of them, are each from a minor league, Cubs minor league team who started their playoff push this week. We have Jake Reindel and Ronan. I love you. I know you love this guy for how his name is spelled because it looks a lot like my name, and there's nothing you love more than my name. But we have Jake Reindel. He is a relief pitcher. He started with Myrtle Beach. He ended up with South Bend. He closed out South Bend's playoff win last night by striking yeah. out the side. He's a very talented reliever. He has a fastball in the low to mid-90s, and he throws that so-called frisbee slider out of kind of a lower sidearm slot. It, it Wicked. It changes lanes. It changes direction. It's a great pitch to watch. He only pitched 16 and a third injuries in the regular season this year due to 16 and third innings, I beg your pardon, due to injury in the regular season this year, but he posted an eye-popping 27 strikeouts in that 16 and a third inning span. And then the other guy is from the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, who are also beginning a playoff push this week. We have catcher Ethan Hearn, and he's notable less so for the offense. He's got some power, 12 home runs, 14 doubles in about 338 plate appearances for Myrtle Beach this year. The bat is a work in progress, but he has some power there. But more so, it's that he's regarded as an excellent defensive catcher and game caller. And we know that catchers are brought along a, a lot more slowly than every other position, just because there's so much more that goes into being a good defensive catcher. So that's a guy I'm interested to see uh, keep getting promoted throughout the minors, see if the bat develops a little more. He's already, again, regarded as an excellent defensive catcher, an excellent game caller, and that's always good to see. If the bat can come around a little bit more, that's a very interesting player to keep your eye on. And just to note, we were talking about Matt Mervis earlier. He has just refused to stop hitting. He hit home run, I believe, number 33 today. Jeremy, is that accurate? Yeah, he's up there. He, he's been crushing ball. Yeah, 33 is uh, 33. Homer. He is, I believe, only one or two home runs off the entire minor league lead. And that's that's uh, the complex leagues all the way up to triple A. He's only a couple of home runs off the entire minor league lead this season. He's just had an, uh, an outstanding season. Again, this is a guy who went undrafted in the shortened COVID season draft, but an outstanding season for him. He has refused to stop hitting. And I think we are going to see him at Wrigley field uh, before too long next season. And I think that's going to be a very interesting player to watch uh, left-handed batting first baseman with just immense power hitting at Wrigley field. We all know is a lot of fun. We saw Anthony Rizzo do it for years. Uh, Matt Mervis is not Anthony Rizzo, both literally and figuratively, but that could still be very fun to watch when he makes it to the Cubs at the major league level. So that's your prospect corner for this week, checking in on Jake Rindle, Ethan Hearn, and we can't not check in on Matt 
mashed Mervis one more time before the minor league season starts to draw to a close. Yeah, and just to follow up, he's 33 homers is correct, and he's uh, one away, at least heading into tonight, was one away. One, from one off. Minor league league. And the guy in fourth is uh, Alexander Canario with 31 homers. Oh. So just mention that. Lots of meat on the farm. Put it that way. Exciting. Really looking forward to what comes of that. I want to zoom out here for a minute and kind of take a look around Major League Baseball. We are nearing the end of the regular season. Playoffs are right around the corner. This is the beginning of a new era in postseason baseball in the majors where six teams in each league will advance to the postseason. I want to get a feeling from both of you here. Are the playoffs fields, are they set? Or is there room in the final two and a half weeks of the season here for some change? So let's start in the National League. The six teams in the playoffs right now, if the season were to come to a close, the Dodgers have already won the West. The Mets are up half a game right now on the Braves in the East. The Cardinals are running away with the Central. The three wildcard teams right now, Atlanta with a 10-game lead in the wildcard, so they've pretty much got that locked in if they don't win the East. Philadelphia and San Diego, and there's really one other team in the mix right now in the National League. That's the Milwaukee Brewers. They're the odd team out right now. They're seventh. Six teams make the playoffs. They are two games behind San Diego. So my question, Jeremy, I want to throw it to you first. Do the Brewers sneak into the playoffs? And if so, who falls out, in your opinion? Or what do you have as the playoff field in the NL right now? Yeah, so I think, you know, just thinking about this, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I think the Brewers take that last spot over the Padres. I think they're going to make wow. a comeback. And I think the Padres are going to falter another year. Wow. Randall? You know, as funny as that would be, and I know we're not supposed to say that's funny, that a team would go out and acquire Juan Soto of all players and add Josh Nader and still not make the playoffs. That would be funny though. I am going to say the Padres hold on to that last playoff spot just because I think it would be really funny to see this vaunted. And I say vaunted with air quotes, this vaunted Brewers team miss the playoffs. So I'm going to go the opposite of Jeremy. I'm going to say San Diego holds on to that last playoff spot. And Milwaukee is that, that uh, first team out. Uh, so that's one of the races I'm watching. And I think the NL East is going to be interesting, too. You, like, we've talked about the Mets, who, by the way, got swept by the Cubs this week. Uh, we've talked about the Mets. They're in a dogfight with the Braves. I think that one's going to come down to the wire. Those are the two NL Watt races I'm watching as we finish off the season, largely because those are the only two NL races uh, of any kind. I like that Jeremy says things are going to get messy in the National League. That's fun, but screw the Brewers. I'm hoping it's the Padres. I do think San Diego is going to rally here. And then all bets are off once you get into the postseason. So we'll see how things play out. Jeremy says the Brewers are getting in. The Padres are falling out. Randall and I more thinking the Padres hang on with that last wild card spot. We'll circle back next week as we get a little bit closer. Uh, moving over to the American League, the Astros are taking care of business in the West. The Yankees holding things down in the East. Cleveland right now leading the American League Central. The three wildcard teams in the American League. Toronto, that's cool. Seattle, that's really cool. They haven't been in the playoffs since 2001. Tampa Bay right now the final wildcard team. It's been a tough stretch here for both Baltimore and, you know, White Sox had a real tough game today against the Rockies, a game they needed to win. Jeremy, again, the American League, are we set here with the six current teams or does Baltimore or the White Sox or even the Twins find a way into things here? What do you think? Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say we're we're set with these six current teams. I I think they're going to be I but the interesting thing is me is this NL Central is I think it's basically 
the Guardians have the next nine games. They have five games against the Twins, four games against the White Sox in these next nine games. So if the Guardians are going to do it, I think in these next nine games, they're pretty, if they are able to, you know, win these two series, I think they're probably going to wrap up the, the AL Central. If not, then we might have a race coming down to stretch between one, these three teams or two of them. And so I think these next, you know, nine games, they're going to be pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with Jeremy here. I think the six-team field is probably how it shakes out. I think Baltimore, they had their their fun little run in August. I think they've fallen off a little bit, and I think that's probably where they end up. But you know what? I'm good with this field. One of my big disappointments last season was that it didn't shake out how it needed to in the last weekend of the season for Toronto and Seattle to make the postseason. Right now, they are both holding the the top two wildcard spots in the AL. And I'd like to see it stay that way. Those are two teams that I kind of really like. I like Toronto. I like Seattle. I'd like to see them both make the postseason and maybe make deep runs. So if this field does hold up as it does, I'm good with that. Cause that's two really fun teams that are going to be in the postseason with a chance to maybe surprise some people and, and go deep. American League Central is all eyes on that. And it was a lot closer a couple days ago. Cleveland's yeah. playing good ball. Sox really needed to win today against the Colorado Rockies, especially the last two games. The Guardians had deficits early in the game against Anaheim. They came back late to win it. So you're watching the scoreboard. You see, okay, the first place team has won. As a White Sox, you get shut out by the Rockies at home today. Oof. That's not good. So American League Central is probably what to watch there. But uh, I would say Seattle has become one of the the great stories in Major League Baseball this year. They were so close last year. Looks like it's going to happen this year. And you get in the playoffs, things can get really funky quickly. Yeah, and I just want to note, as we sit here recording, it's uh, about five minutes before 11 p.m., Central Time Wednesday night. I got my window open. It's a lovely night here. I live just around the corner from a pretty sizable forest preserve. And uh, there's the hooting of an owl coming through my window. So the owls are also asking who, 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 as we talk about the playoffs here. So we're, we're very big with the owl crowd. I appreciate you listening out there. I, I, and, and speaking of birds, uh, I would also point out Baltimore, you know, having a year like they're, yeah. they probably won't make the playoffs, but, you know, it had... And I, I do kind of like Tampa, but I'm rooting for them to make it. And I, I would like to see the Mariners, Blue Jays, and Baltimore make it. Because uh, those are teams that we generally don't see as versus Tampa, who we do kind of see every year. Um, but, you know, Baltimore's having a year, and they got some talent on that team that's coming up. Like, they have, like, three number one overall prospects pretty much this season. Like, one graduates, and then they have the next number one overall prospect. And so Baltimore's going to be a team to reckon with, I feel like, in the upcoming years. Yeah, they got Gunnar Henderson, who very much looks like his name. You see him once, and you just say, yeah, that's a Gunner. That's a Gunner right there. They got yeah. some fun players, though. Uh, Adley, of course, and... Uh, and Grayson uh, Rodriguez, if he ever gets healthy. Yeah, yeah. so uh, we're getting near the finish line here in the regular season. We'll be monitoring it, and we'll certainly be talking playoff baseball, too. Anyone but the Cardinals... At this point, it's really what I'm thinking. So we'll see how things play out. Uh, one more thing on the Cubs, and I want to talk Bears quickly as we wrap this up. Number 83, this is our 83rd podcast. Randall, Cubs history, where does 83 fall in terms of jersey numbers? Well, 83, another one of these uh, very large, high numbers that's only had one wearer. And that belonged to coach Franklin Font, who has served in a, a variety of kind of the fringe coaching positions on uh, under a number of Cubs managers. He wore number 83 in the shortened 2020 MLB season. And that to date is the only person to have worn 83 
for the Cubs during a major league game. So that is your lone number 83 coach Franklin Font uh, in Cubs history. Did I see Jared Young took 74? That is correct. He's a How he's a young feel? 74. He's very spry. Well, uh, yeah, getting into the lean numbers here as we get higher into the 80s. We've got to figure out what we're going to do once we get past 100. Uh, yeah. You know, I will figure something out as we continue we'll to move out. through it. I want to talk Bears here for a minute. I said last week the Bears are going to win maybe five games this year, and they went out and they beat San Francisco. A memorable day at Soldier Field on Sunday. The rain was pouring, Jeremy. You're the longtime season ticket holder. 20-plus years, I think, at this point, you've had season tickets with the Bears. I seem to recall around the Champagne year, as I think when you guys got into the mix, if I'm remembering that correctly, during the renovations at Soldier Field, you ever recall a scene at Soldier Field like what you saw in that second half, especially with all that rain? It was wild. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Uh, unfortunately, I, I didn't go to that one game a couple years ago. It was like in the tornado against Baltimore. Uh, actually, hurricane like hurricane did 10 years. Yeah, it's probably like 10 years ago now. Uh, but you're, you're correct. Uh, 2002, uh, that year in Champaign, we were able to get in and get it since then in the new stadium every single year. Um, but yeah, like once like six, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden, everything started coming gushing down. The field was all good. It's like the ceiling was leaking it was I, probably the wettest fortunately for me i uh we're like the last row that doesn't really get uh rained on although you know we saw some leaks but i didn't really get wet so we were all dry for the most part uh but then leaving the stadium i just yeah. a torrential downpour just trying to get back to the car um but you know it was an experience it was one of these these games that was crazy and uh there was a guy there randall who uh, just in the row in front of me, a little bit to my right, who, uh, you know, I was watching it. Just like, I was like, you know what? That that should be Randall one day. Like, he should be having this much fun. And let me <laughs> let me recap his day. Uh, he was he was he was pretty uh, out there. So first that I, 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 I didn't I wasn't aware of it at first. And then all of a sudden, because he was in the row, he might have been in my row, but like all the way down kind of. So in the middle, I'm on the aisle. So he was kind of like in the middle. And I can't really see over there. I, I think he just or in the row in front, actually. Um, but first he, uh, uh, things came up a little bit from the front, uh, came out through the mouth and oh, everything vomit. splattered. Yeah. He vomited all hmm. over the place, which apparently somehow still was in the ball game. Uh, after just vomiting everywhere, he then <laughs> proceeded to, uh, at some point he was walking down the, uh, he, well, first he passed out, I guess, in his seat after vomiting. Then he was walking down through me at some point, and I could just tell this guy's drunk, just stumbling all around. He gets to the stairs, falls all the way backwards down the stairs. I, my sister thought she was with me. He was going to fall over the ledge. And just Oof. like he went, we had like a bunch of people come running down, pick him up. I don't know how this guy stayed in the ball game. Then he comes back at some point, absolutely pisses himself. Oh, no. So this oh, is the experience no. from a Bears fan in my oh, row. No. Just absolutely, oh, but I'm like, how does this guy manage to stay through all of this in the ballpark and now no security, nothing coming? Like I didn't even know where he was. And the next thing I'm looking over, and people are like, "What's like, what's wrong?" They're like, "Oh, he pissed himself." And it's like, what are you doing at the ball? And this is during the trench war. Luckily, it was raining, so everything washed away. But oh, uh, I'm thinking, you know, maybe wouldn't want to be at the bottom day, of that section standing you know, in the effuse. Maybe one day we're going to get it. And then the woman in front of us was like, yeah, I'm contacting the Bears. You're getting all your tickets revoked, um, season tickets. But uh, maybe one day we'll be at that point where we could be having that fun of a time at a Bears game. I've never I seen hope to. 
I've seen somebody do all of those things. Like I've seen individuals do all those things separately. I've never seen one guy do all of them. The triple yeah, play. Yeah, I hope to yeah. the triple play. I hope Quad to never have that much out. fun at a sporting event. I think that's a little more fun than I'm willing to have. But uh, I'm glad that gentleman enjoyed himself in the rain. It was a great <laughs> game to watch on TV from my warm, dry apartment, Jeremy. I'll tell you that much. It was fun to watch there from wet Red Soldier Field. I, I had a great time. Uh, as I said, the only problem, walking home, like when you're going through the, the crowd of Bears fans, and you're stuck, and, it's, and, and then you have to hear all the loudmouth, obnoxious Bears fans, which the one guy was very mad. Very mad that the 49ers benched Jimmy Garoppolo and was yelling and screaming that no running quarterback has ever won the Super Bowl. Well, except for this running quarterback won the Super Bowl and that running quarterback won the Super Bowl, but no running quarterback has ever won the Super Bowl. So I don't know what the 49ers are doing. And I'm like, I'm like, well, are you that angry at the Bears with Justin Fields? Like, what are you talking about? And yeah. so and he was using running quarterback and I was like, OK, I, I think I really know what you're saying here. <laughs> Well, I thought it was uh, ironic that there was so much talk this week about a domed stadium in Arlington Heights, and you get all the weather at Soldier Field. There's no question the timing of the storm helped the Bears hold on and win that game. Oh, they were yeah. probably in good shape anyway, but once the rain comes down at that point and the field deteriorates, you're not going to run the ball. You certainly aren't going to throw the ball in weather like that. It just brought the game to a halt and helped secure the W, and I just thought... I look, they're going to Arlington Heights. They're going to end up playing in what I think is going to be a retractable roof stadium. I hope at least it opens and closes. I know what they're saying, Jeremy. You're shaking your head. Long way to go before that gets done. But this is an example of you play in the elements, you get moments like that. And the imagery at the end of the game of the guys celebrating, that's fun as hell. And uh, sitting here in Denver, sunny day, it was cool to see that back home. Well, two words, bear weather. Yeah, uh, you know, lean into the bit because being a Bears fan is largely leaning into a series of bits. But you said it—that enduring image of the the offensive players, uh, maybe slip and sliding into the end zone, and Justin Field going in arms outstretched—that's an enduring image. He's a great personality. I think he'll be an even better quarterback than that personality, and that's just a great image on which to start the season. Is Justin Fields yeah. leading his team to a victory, and then slip and sliding? Uh, into that that rain-covered end zone for all the cameras in the world to see. Just a fantastic image on which to start the season. And to complement the actual players and the coaches for a minute, there's one other observation that I want to make there. I don't know what this coaching staff is going to be, whether they're going to be successful or not. I don't know about most of the new front office. The organization's a dumpster fire. They're still a dumpster fire. Fun game Sunday, but I'm not too optimistic. That said... The Bears were completely lifeless in the first half. They couldn't move the football at all. They made adjustments at halftime. They came out and they won a professional football game. That was very impressive to me because at halftime, and I stayed watching, but at halftime I said, this is over. They're, I, they're not going to score anything else here today. They looked like a different team in the second half. So maybe this is a competent coaching staff. Maybe they are going to be able to pull some talent out of these players. And that was at least nice to see because it's been a long time since I've watched a Bears game and say, you know, it was pretty well-coached game by the Bears. They made adjustments and got better as the game went on, and I think they did that Sunday. At no point during the Matt Nagy era did we say, wow, this team really made the necessary adjustments at halftime. At no point during his tenure did we say that. So like you said, very refreshing to be able to see that and enjoy that this season, this first game. Yeah, Jeremy. I think – oh, sorry, I was going to just comment on that. Uh, Go ahead. I, I, I think the defense played pretty well. I know it was wet and whatever, and – you know, but I, I thought Eberflus and the defense, they had it all down. And as you're saying, in the second half, you know, they went away from David Montgomery. They they started handing the ball off to Khalil Herbert. And I think that was pretty 
a pretty decent science. Like, you know, David Montgomery's not working. And just because he's the guy doesn't mean he should be the guy. And so let's give the ball to Khalil Herbert. And that was successful. And I think Luke Getze, you know, made those decisions and made those uh, with the coaching staff. And so it's nice to see. I mean, the first touchdown was just a complete <laughs> Justin Fields special. Like he made that yeah. play happen. Um, but uh, it was, I agree with you that it was nice to see guys seemingly as the game went on, they improved. I also laughed and maybe cried a little bit too. And I'm not overreacting. It was bad weather and all that, but it's like, it seems in my life as a bears fan, you either have a competent offense and bad special teams or good special teams and a bad offense. And that was sort of the case here. You're getting some scores and then boom, missed extra point, missed this, the kicks going all over the place. The field didn't appear to be in great shape, the rain, the wind, all that stuff. But I was chuckling a little bit going, just once in my life, can we put it all together and score a touchdown and make a damn extra point after the ball? You know, crazy. Absolutely crazy. They couldn't go up by 10. All those DraftKings fans probably on bed. The Bears were probably real pissed. And the Bears couldn't get up by 10 to get that early win. <laughs> yeah. But a fun win, satisfying win for the Bears. Gets a little bit more difficult this weekend and a long way to go this year. This is kind of the craziest week for the NFL. If your team won on Sunday or Monday or Thursday, you're thinking Super Bowl, right? Everything's fine. We're going to be good. If your team lost this week, it's the end of the world. Well, it's been a scene in Denver this week. That was quite the show on Monday Night Football. A hugely televised game on Monday night. An entertaining game. But Denver pissed that thing away in the final minute and a half or so. <laughs> they had fumbles inside the red zone. <laughs> Tough showing by the Broncos. And the fans here in the Mile High City have been very uncomfortable since Monday night. I've been getting a bit of a kick out of that as well. Yeah, and you paid all that money for Russell Wilson, and he's going home uh, to Seattle, and he's in that moment. And you're like, hey, Russell, uh, why don't you take a step back? We're not going to go to you. That's a little bit, you know, I, yeah, the fumbles, like they should have been up no matter what. So yeah, shouldn't have been, those are ridiculous at the one yard line, but still it's like, Russell, like, this is what you paid this guy for. This is his moment. It's in Seattle. And they're like, well, let me give it to the guy who's one for eight on kicks over 60 yards. 65 yard field goal I know. at the end of the game. <laughs> Absolutely wild. They had timeouts. They were at basically midfield. Uh, did you see the Manning cast reaction to it? That was I did. Good. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, the the slow realization and Peyton just incredulously asking, "They're gonna kick the field goal? They're gonna kick the field goal?" It, it, I just can only imagine what's going through the mind of a, a Broncos fan. But I, I don't have to deal with it because that ain't my problem. Have fun with that, Denver. I, I I like seeing what's going on around the league. Huge ratings Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night, and a little Amazon Prime tomorrow. Should be interesting with the Chiefs and the Chargers going at it. But we'll be back next week. We've got Cubs baseball to talk, a little bit on the Bears front. Uh, but right now, we're happy. Randall's going to put that broom away a little bit later. Cubs sweep the Mets. They're playing decent ball. Rockies are coming to Wrigley this weekend. Randall. Keep that Twitter account going at BTYL Podcast. I want pictures. I want videos. Give us the behind the scenes tour Saturday. We'll see you next week right here on Behind the Yellow Line.